Welcome to this week's podcast of ForthrightGaming.com, content made by gamers for gamers. Uh, we're, this week we're going to be talking about the Xbox 20th anniversary, 20 years of Xbox, and kind of how that has affected uh, the gaming industry and kind of our memories about all of it, because we were around from the very beginning to where it currently is now. Uh, we're dorks. Yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, with me, obviously, is my co-host David. Uh, we're here uh, here with me. We're gonna be talking about uh, the history of Xbox, our first experiences with it, kind of the timeline of all the achievements that Xbox did and added to the industry, as well as just our fun fun memories we had of playing it. Now, the anniversary was a couple weeks ago on November fifteenth. Was the twentieth anniversary of Xbox coming out. Um, they launched uh, in 2001 with a with Halo Combat Evolved was their launch title. Um, I didn't pick it up right away. It was not the console I, I had picked up uh, that year. I think I probably picked it up later, uh, in probably in 2002 is when I, fi- I bought my first Xbox console because I had bought a Dreamcast recently <clears throat> because that was kind of the pushing the edge of uh, innovation everything when the Dreamcast came out. But as soon as the Dreamcast went kaput and was like, hey, we're not making them anymore, I immediately went on and bought an <laughs> Xbox. <laughs> now, David... Yeah. yeah, go ahead, David, because you, you know more of the Sega side and some of the Sega connections to all of this. So, huge Dreamcast fan myself. I still have two. Um, and I still play them from time to time when I have time. The thing that was so pivotal was... Sega was really trying to recapture themselves as a gaming platform, and the Saturn did not do very well. So the Dreamcast was really that attempt to kind of recapture the audience. Well, like you said, Dreamcast was kind of on its on its way out. They announced in the year 2000 that it was going to be no more, starting in 2001. And then you saw this really interesting partnership between Sega and Microsoft kind of happen, right? And... Seamus Blackley, he was the one that kind of pitched Xbox, and then eventually Microsoft approved it and, and let it take its course, which we now know of. Um, games that were on the Dreamcast that never released in the U.S., because obviously Microsoft, a U.S. company, was kind of planning on having a stronger hold in U.S. customers. So what they did was Shenmue 2, that didn't release in the U.S. on Dreamcast. Jet Set Radio Future, you know, that was an, a console exclusive that came to the original Xbox. Um, and many people still to this day still think of the original Xbox as a Dreamcast 2. And a lot of games, even to this day, are still published on Xbox from Sega. For example, on Game Pass, like there's like the whole Yakuza series almost on, on Xbox Game Pass. So Sega and Microsoft have had this really good relationship. And that, that real relationship there, I think a lot of if people had to play the console fandom right people from sega really did transition over to xbox because nintendo wasn't really it didn't really have that same edginess sony didn't really have that same edginess sony was really more of the the world stage if you will because they were kind of japanese european centric but they also did have that american side um but microsoft was very much an american-based business and american focus as you could tell by a lot of the early games on xbox yeah pretty much when xbox came out Sega had said, hey, we're out of the console business. We're going to strictly go to games. So, like, the Sonic games and all that started coming out on Xbox. Um, but, like I said, my first memory of being on playing Xbox was literally at your house, spending the night, and we were and you forced me to play Halo with you. I'm like, dude, I don't like first-person <laughs> shooters. They're too fast and twitchy because I've only seen, like, the ones on PC, like Unreal and whatnot, which are, like, 
Twitch shooters, which I just couldn't keep up with, so I wasn't into first-person shooters at all. I think the most I've played was maybe Doom and uh, Heretic on PC, and that is about as much as I could take. But like, hey, no, 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 we'll play this. It has a good story, and it's good fun action. And when we boot up Halo for the first time, I remember like, holy shit, this is like, I can actually see what's going on. It's not like I tr- I flick the con- the control stick. And I'm like doing 720s all of a sudden because I'm moving so fast. You actually see the enemies and like you can actually sit there and look at what it looked like instead of just quickly killing it and blowing it to pieces, you know? Um, and I think Halo is like what really even got me into first person shooters was just playing that first game because of all the kind of things they threw in there. I mean, that game was revolutionary just for the fact that, hey, here's a first person shooter with a coherent story, with music, with cinematic beats. It like played out like an action movie. Um, and that's what really ca- captured my imagination. And, with, and from there, like I was all in for Xbox games. Yeah. The launch of, of Xbox was pretty interesting. And, and the reason I think Sega is also important in that conversation is Microsoft does not appeal to Japanese gamers, but Jap- Japan is a huge, huge gaming market. I mean, you have Nintendo, you have Sony, um, you got you have all these game developers. They were really at the forefront, really, in terms of, of game development was where Japan was. Um, and everyone remembers the NES, who who's old enough to, to kind of remember those days. So Microsoft really needed a way to tap into that Japanese market. And Sega was their, their method to kind of, I guess, buy their way into it. So, you know, I, I kind of think it's important to kind of point out that when they when Microsoft tried Xbox, they really went a different route, right? You had the PS2, you had GameCube, um, you had Dreamcast, and then you also had Xbox, right? Kind of at the this, this same time in 2001, which is a pretty interesting time to be in gaming. Um, I still think it's probably one of the highest times and the highest marks where you could be a gamer because you really had so much competition for your money. And Yeah, I guess, but I would, I would honestly say, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later, the 360 era was like the golden age of ga- of console gaming and gaming in general across almost all platforms. But like you said, uh, Xbox is definitely, Microsoft and Xbox is definitely trying to figure out how do they get the Japanese market? Because that's the one thing that even to this day, Xbox really doesn't have a good grasp on. Sony's always dominated Japan. Um, Xbox has gotten over the years, a better handle over the European uh, market, but the Japanese market has almost always been a PlayStation and Nintendo market um, because they're built there. They're, made there and people and a lot of the developers are st- are are there and a lot of the games that they make that don't come out here in the west are targeted for japanese audiences i mean there's tons of like interesting games like you said jet set radio even res those are games that are very much targeted towards the japanese audience like even their commercials for jet set radio were like really crazy weird japanese commercials type ads for it even the res ads where like the controllers vibrating and the guys are like, Oh, that was like <laughs> completely targeted towards Japanese audiences, <clears throat> but they're games that people in the, in the West, in the U S definitely love to play it too. Um, so definitely using Sega as a way to get in was there was right. But like Sega's also on their way downhill because with their platform, uh, dying because they didn't put any anti-piracy, tech at all in anything so people just were burning dreamcast games like crazy and trading them on the black market made it so that it wasn't profitable and honestly a lot of the early sega games that weren't just like ports from the dreamcast like 
the next Sonic of Sonic game, I think the 2006 Sonic game or whatnot, was garbage. Like they all oh, started yeah. like falling apart. Um, so as Sega was a way in, Sega still play their cards right by putting their putting their hands in everybody's pop because like all the Yakuza games as you mentioned now they're all on Game Pass right but they all came out originally on PlayStation and were only PlayStation games um but Sega gave Xbox a little bit of that Japanese market but honestly what really drove it was the Halo brought gaming from being a uh, kind of like a nerdy geeky thing into being more of a mainstream hobby and then Call of Duty 2 and all that that came out on the original Xbox, or Call of Duty originally came on the original Xbox, all that pushed main, pushed gaming into the mainstream uh, light, and the Xbox was at the center of that. I mean, with launch, uh, launching the console with The Rock at the time, that was a huge <laughs> uh, event to see of mixing like the WWE fan base or WWF wrestling fan base with gaming, with The Rock introducing it. When the 360 came out, you had MTV and Elijah Wood uh, announcing the launch of the 360, uh, making it like the console of the generation, right? And like everybody was into gaming. Where when we were kids and you had a Nintendo and NES, like, yeah, you had them. But if you're a hardcore gamer, you're considered a loser and a geek while everyone else went out and played sports and shit. Well, we were just inside playing techno football and any other video game we could on our consoles and whatnot. Yeah, and it's kind of interesting that you say the, the, I guess you could say the dork aspect of gaming, right, at this time. Because, so when Xbox came out, it was November of 2001, right? And it was a very much a a big box PC in this, like, big, massive plastic case. And it it had the highest quality graphics at the time. And it had surround sound, which was great, right? You could finally, like, play your DVDs on it with surround sound, and it sounded great. Um, Games could have surround sound, so you could hear a guy behind you. Right, it had better graphics with what they call bump maps. Um, you had a higher polygon count, better lighting because it was more powerful. It had built-in Ethernet and an optical port, so you had great sound. You had great high-speed internet. Um, you know, and, and personally, one of my favorite features about Xbox was the ability to rip your CDs onto the console and then use those in certain games. And I think it's worth touching on that. Like the, the games that I could think of the most that I played with custom soundtracks were Black, the shooter. Burnout Takedown, the racing game, GTA 3, Vice City. You had Major League Baseball, so it was cool to watch your guy have an intro come out to whatever song you put on there. I mean, we played Midnight Club 3, and then you had games like True Crime Streets of LA. There's a lot more games, but like this, the console was very much trying to give you everything that you wanted, right? Online multiplayer, best yeah. sound, best and graphics. I would say, like, the custom soundtrack stuff, like, to specifically outline what that is, because they don't do it the same way today. Like, you have custom soundtrack kind of today where you can play groove or not groove but you can play a spotify in the background at of any game you play on xbox now but what you're talking about then is that literally the game in the games there were options to select custom soundtrack and it would play the music and playlist that you created that you ripped to your console as the game's music so you didn't have to turn off like this the music in the game to play your music or anything like that you just it, it would just pick off off from that. I think the last game that actually did that, uh, and only did it for a very, very short period of time, was Forza Horizon 3 had a radio station called Groove Music when Microsoft had the Groove uh, play, uh, music app, and it would play your playlist from the Groove Music app in the game as you played. Then they shut down Groove, so that feature became <laughs> completely obsolete and went to garbage. And now it's just, hey, play the Spotify app in the background while you're playing a game, but now you have to turn off the music. 
So that was one a very revolutionary thing because a lot of people played music while playing uh, games, especially like games that were fun but were kind of mundane, like racing games. I'd always have a stereo on with playing my favorite music while I played a racing game because racing games usually had blah music and all you really wanted to hear was the sound effects and have your own music playing. So I remember uh, doing that quite a bit. And then with this feature, it was already built in. Um, and they had built like some really solid games. Like as you mentioned, GTA was definitely a huge thing for GTA 3 and Vice City. Burnout was a huge franchise uh, for that console. And Midnight Club. I remember I played Midnight Club 2 like to death where I was in the top 20 ranked in the world on that one. Um and not to mention some other crazy games like uh, Crimson Skies was a game I played constantly oh, yeah. when they launched it. But also the other thing you mentioned is like the built-in Ethernet and optical port. The console came out in 2001. There was no Xbox Live until th- 2002. Um, actually, a year later in November. The console had f- had hardware bu- built into it that was not being used at launch. Unlike uh, like Nintendo's GameCube and whatnot where you had to go out and buy an adapter to plug into <laughs> it to get your uh, internet connection, which... Now those adapters are hard to find and they cost through the roof because they didn't make a ton of them, right? Where Xbox already had a leap on it because they knew, okay, we're going to do this online. We're going to do all this. We're not going to launch with it online because they needed to compete with uh, – what the PlayStation 2 was already out or was just coming out, I think. So so PlayStation 2, um, I think that came out in 99 because I remember people were buying it to play okay. the Matrix and stuff. But um, – the the thing that was different was you had what they called the fat PS2, but you had to buy an adapter just like on GameCube. And later on, they did come out with a, a slim model that did have it. But, that's right. Um, I mean, it wasn't the same, you know. Like but you that's said, the it, thing it, is, it was in the box. Yeah, and that's the thing is that um, Microsoft kind of had to make a decision, right? Do we wait a year till we have our live system up and running and we launch we launch our platform with the live system? Or do we come out with it now, have everything built in there, and then we just flip the switch and then launch live games when once we have our system uh, set up? Because um, if they waited a year later, PlayStation would have had too much of a foothold already. Because coming out in 99, already had a, had almost two years of time out there. We came out probably like fall of 99, so I had probably like a year and a half of time already in the market. Xbox comes out has the killer app which starts basically the real console wars i mean there was playstation versus nintendo a little bit but like there were two different playing fields all together i mean sony had the disc and nintendo was still on cartridges right and so gamecube which had a tiny disc <laughs> which i don't know how that helps <laughs> anything anything with it but xbox is definitely on the same playing field as sony and a lot of the games were on hey here's xbox and a game available on xbox and playstation Versus a lot of Nintendo games were just Nintendo. A lot of Sony games were just on Sony. So you're either on one platform or the other, and you didn't like really share a lot of experiences between them. Xbox yeah. definitely shared that experience where we finally had that generation of gaming where, oh, I like my game playing better on Xbox versus playing on Sony. So then you really had a real true console war starting there. Um, but I would say, like, once what really comes down to um, was xbox live changing the platform like them waiting a year to launch that they launched it with a plan of hey you're gonna have an account you're gonna pay for it with a credit card or whatnot and you're gonna be able to play games online with these games are set so i remember the sony online system was a pain in the ass to use it was hard to connect with people like xbox had already set up hey how you can make friends you can add them to a friends list you can easily connect with them 
you could chat in game with them. I think the first game I remember playing was an Xbox Live demo disc of uh, Moto GP. <laughs> um, and I just remember like that game was like kind of mediocre, but it's it's a motorcycle racing game. Which one they don't even make a lot of this anymore, right? But it was like twenty people in a race and everybody wrecking at the first corner. <laughs> and everybody like yelling and screaming at each other about it, about it and laughing. It was like a surreal moment to have that whole cool. I'm talking to people from all over the country and all over the world. We're all playing the same game right now and having a great time. Yeah, and one thing I think it's worth adding is one of the, the ingenious aspects of the design, because remember, we're talking about stuff that really was cutting edge with home consoles especially. And also... PCs kind of sucked at this time, right? <laughs> they, they were not very powerful. So the Xbox was kind of ahead of, of many PCs when it released. And Microsoft took a loss on, on producing the first consoles. Well, they put a hard drive in it. And it was the first console... Well, sorry. Dreamcast, you could download DLC. But the DLC was very small. But with the original Xbox, you could download large DLC maps. Um, I remember Battlefront 2 had a couple of maps and, and some extra characters you can download, you know, that were like a few megabytes, maybe I think I think the map was like 60 megabytes, something like that, much bigger than anything you could in the past. Um, that was a huge and revolutionary thing at the time. And a lot of these features, Microsoft didn't kind of rest on their laurels, they really took a lot of this stuff and kept going. And I mean, we're just talking about what the original Xbox did at the time of its launch and with Xbox Live's launch. But one thing that's also pivotal to the industry is when Halo 2 came out, and, and like you said, Halo 1 was a monumental game. It got you into first-person gaming. Halo 2 was the first game to launch with matchmaking. Every other game before that was like jump in a lobby, right? Like go find a room and jump in and play. That's how Battlefront 2 was. You would just be like, oh, I know that guy. I'll jump in his lobby because he's hosting. But matchmaking, you would, you and I could jump in a party, and then we could just jump in this room, and it would try its best to kind of put us with people of equal skill level which was amazing because half the time you jump into a lobby, you get your ass kicked and, and you would just not have fun. But if you actually try to balance the game, you could actually enjoy the game more because it's more competitive. It's it's more of an equal level footing. You feel like you have a shot. And even if you lose, it's not like you lost by a lot. Not that you you wouldn't get whooped sometimes. We, we got whooped a lot on, on Halo 2. But it was really interesting to see that matchmaking feature, which still continues today. Yeah, that's the thing is that when... When Halo 2 came out, I mean, that also started the beginning of the midnight launch, right? Like, I never went out to a game store at midnight to buy a video game before Halo 2. Like, there was no such thing as a midnight launch, come down to the store, we'll let you in at the mall, and security will walk you from the mall entrance to the the tiny game store, and everybody will walk in and pick up their pre-orders and walk out. And I remember going to the local mall here over in Kitsap, and waiting out line uh, in a line to go uh, pick up Halo four, Halo Two, with everyone else in line. And this one guy rolled out like had a dolly with a giant CRT TV and extension cords, <laughs> and they pulled out their Xbox and then they started playing uh, Halo One co-op uh, or Halo One uh, versus with a bunch of people in line while they waited till midnight to roll around. Um, to think about that, like yeah, that was unheard of. Nobody waited till midnight to go pick up uh zelda or anything like that back in the day it's just game came out came out you went to the store and you picked it up but like halo 2 online multiplayer matchmaking people went out for a midnight release kicked up that game you would see lines outside of malls and game stores i mean i think with xbox live came the 
huge boom with game stores. I mean, before game stores were only in malls. Now, like they're in strip malls or they're their own store, um, which now they're kind of starting to fade out because now we don't buy games at brick and mortar stores anymore. Most of us buy them online, <clears throat> but it's kind of funny that through this uh, ev- evolution of Xbox's history, the 20 years, we've seen the industry change so much to from every aspect of it, from it being uh, buying games from the electronic department at a department store to now you're buying at a game store to now you're standing outside Best Buy or a game store at mi- uh, midnight or a few hours before midnight trying to make sure you're in line to get your copy. Yeah. Yeah, and... Um... The game, the the old GameStop days, really, because you know we had like what, EB Games, GameStop. Um, yeah, there used to be competition yeah. back in the day. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot more variety of stores you could go to. A lot of midnight. I mean, honestly, I think that was probably the only midnight launch I went to for a game. I know a lot of people that do the console midnight launches because they just want to get a like a PS Five, right? Like limited supply type of deals, but. Um, the original Xbox was a fascinating time, and a lot of the games were very interesting, and, and the industry kind of felt like it was in its infancy, right? Because NES was, what, released in, what, 83? I want to say it was a really old console that had a really long time. The original Xbox is interesting in that it was a four-year lifespan, right? You didn't really, because it launched in 2001, live launched 2002. The, the Xbox 360 then launches on November 22nd, 2005. So it barely had four years on the market, but it really had a lot of pie-in-the-sky ideas that hit the mark that is really special when you kind of look back on it. Um, and kind of like going on to the 360, right? Because we have, that's probably where we have the most experience, if anything. And, and I know you mentioned earlier is that was kind of like the... I don't know how yeah, you I said it, it was the, the golden age of gaming era. because like... Tons of franchises that you know now came out of the 360 uh, era and like defined how we make how games are made now. Like the formula of like the Call of Duty is from like the 360 Call of Duty era. Uh, Halo and like how you're going to design an online system and how it's going to work and integrate with everything else is from how Xbox Live grew and changed on the 360 era. Now, what the funny thing was when 360 came out, it didn't have the killer app. Because I didn't, I remember when it launched, I didn't go out and buy a 360 right away. I do remember trading in every th- game system I had and figure fine, the 360 is going to be the last game system I buy or something. So I traded my GameCube, all my all my stuff, and got a 360, but I didn't get it until Oblivion came out, the Elder Scrolls game, because that was the first game that looked like, yeah, I really want to play it, and it's on 360, so I got to get it there. Um but I don't think Halo 3 didn't come out until uh, later, either later that year or the next year or so. Um, so, I mean, it's a system that basically people bought it more so for Xbox Live functionalities, parties, being able to uh, connect with people and not have to be in a game. I could just be up my dashboard and I could talk to you and I could be playing a different game. You could be playing a different game. We could still have a conversation about whatever it helped keep people connected that way as well as being able to go through the matchmaking systems that games that halo designed that everybody started copying in their game settings and then i think like call of duty 2 i think came on the 360 and that was a huge uh yeah. huge game but the real call of duty that really blew it up was call of duty 4 modern warfare where like that's when i noticed like people who 
never had an interest in gaming, we're talking about video games a hell of a lot more. It was with Halo 2 and then the Call of Duty Modern Warfare 4. Like, everybody's talking about games now. Um, that really kind of changed the change the field of gaming. And then, like I said, it's called the Golden Era because, like, we got some of the best franchises out of that 360 era. And that's a console that lasted for a good long while to the point where I feel like you can actually look at the 360 and see that the, here's the games that came out first that were kind of like very weak and they didn't really know how to utilize the hardware very well to like the games that came out at the tail end of its lifespan are 10 times better in graphics fidelity and frame rate and all the other stuff because they knew how to use the hardware better and how to push it to its limits. Um, and that's not something you usually see in generation of games. Like you look at the NES, their games all pretty much like look the same with a, with little steps up here and there. But you can see an NES game versus a Super Nintendo game. You know what they were pushing there. Uh, Xbox original Xbox pushed a lot of like, hey, look at our water effects. They look so real. And 360 was all about our online connectivity and water and uh, water effects looking realer. And then like when you look at Mass Effect. Three when the time that came out compared to like oh, yeah. Perfect Dark Zero, which was an original launch title, like they are decades apart on how they look. They don't look like they're on. They were made for the same system. Um, that's why the PS3 and Xbox 360 generation was such a huge, genera- huge effect on gaming. Uh, the only reason why I think 360 became the powerhouse it was was also when it launched it launched with a better price point than uh playstation playstation 3 i think originally came out at 600 and then they dropped yeah. it down to five and everybody's like you're fucking crazy dude 200 bucks is all we we're gonna pay for a game system um and now nowadays now we're paying 500 dollars or more for <laughs> consoles but think of that like from 2000 what was it 2004 is when it launched 2005. 2005 is when uh, 360 launched. To 2021 or 2020, where it was when paying $500 for a console was like, yeah, that's fine. I'll do that. But, <laughs> but Sony was trying to do that in 2005. It's like, no, nobody was going to do that. Uh, plus, their hardware is harder to build on, on from a developer standpoint. So, like, nobody liked working on it. And 360 was easier and more affordable and got into more hands, basically. Yeah, and people don't know, but the real reason why it was called an Xbox is because Seamus Blackley was part of the DirectX team. So it was basically using a build of DirectX, hence Xbox. And so when we got to the 360 era, it was kind of like a... Like, Xbox kind of splintered off from DirectX. It kind of... It's now its own thing, obviously. But it still taps into that DirectX technology, and it's really interesting how much they've done with it. Like you mentioned, the difference between, like early Xbox 360 games to late Xbox 360 games is a huge, huge difference. And then when it launched, it came with, it was the first console that had achievements. It had um, downloadable games, which the downloadable games to me was always a funny thing historically, because I actually worked in game development at this time at a a small studio. And you could only, by the rules, Microsoft would only allow you up to 50 megabyte downloads. That's why a lot of the games that you saw early on 360 that were downloadable were these Xbox Live arcade games, very small to download, easy to play. But um, once they started releasing larger hard drives, you could actually start to purchase a full disc, which was like up to an 8 gig download, right? Plus the DLC, Jesus Christ, you know, like Mass Effect 2, I think was... Like at least you know what eighteen gigs on my hard drive because all the DLC have... everything yeah is about almost twenty yeah. gigs. Yeah, and I believe it was two discs as well. So you have two discs, all the DLC. Oh man, it was insane. But 
I loved it. I, I love the fact that you had, you finally got to see games kind of expand, right? Just like how you saw the original Xbox kind of launch and then start tapping into all its features. The 360 did that for games. You could launch your game and then add more features, add more DLC. Um, it kind of showed the capability for games as a service, which is what we now call it, right? Um, but it really showed that capability to, to continue. And then um, Sony had launched its competitive um, subscription service, PlayStation Network, and people started to get games for free, right? Well, the, th the cool thing about it is that was on the PS3. Xbox responded by launching Games with Gold in summer of 2013. And you basically got free games every month that you got to keep on your 360. Bear in mind, this differs from Xbox One and, and Series X and S when they start getting games because you can't keep those. Those are basically just active as long as your subscription is there. But those Xbox 360 games, you own those forever. You don't have to buy them. And then kind of talking about the golden era of 360 the fact that we're still getting 360 games on on uh, xbox game with gold goes to show you how many good games came out on the 360 yeah i mean the 360 like i said had that that hit that that golden spot of gaming really um i would definitely say with the achievements also being a big thing like gamer score is now a thing gamer score is strictly kind of an xbox brand thing they invented that concept they invented the concept of achievements when you had people who got really hooked to 100% in games all the time. And Sony copied that and came over with trophies. I think the only thing that Sony does different is they have platinum trophies. So when you beat a game, you get an extra trophy on there. The DLC stuff, I mean, as much as people bitch about games as a service, like people have been bitching about the about all the negatives that we see today. Like we were all predicting that back in the day. It's like, or you maybe pay for extra content that should have been in the game originally. Like the first DLC that first came out was that horse armor in Oblivion, which everybody talks shit about. But it was the very first <laughs> DLC. You paid like a dollar or two to get some horse armor on your horse, which really didn't do anything to affect your gameplay. Um, to later on where like even the industry didn't know how to classify stuff because um, they, I think uh, the last year before like the concept of a digital game finally made sense to people was when uh, Far Cry 3 came out and Far Cry uh, Blood Dragon came out. Far Cry Blood Dragon won best DLC of the year, but it's not a <laughs> DLC. It's its own fucking game. It doesn't require anything of Far Cry 3. It's just called Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon, and they kept labeling, well, it's a digital game. You downloaded the whole thing, so it's DLC, right? It's like, no, DLC is attached to original game, and enhances the original game. This is its standalone game, but it won best DLC of the year. And then after that, it was, hey, all games are digital to some point where we can just download a version of it. So they no longer consider that DLC. Now they have the proper understanding of what DLC is. Um, but I remember like <laughs> yelling at the GV, the video game awards, like, it's not DLC, assholes. It's a fucking game. It's completely two different things. I don't know why they did not understand that concept back then but that's as we saw things change right because as we get towards the end of the xbox 360's life and the launch of the xbox one everything started becoming more digital um the xbox 360 was getting more compatible with um every aspect of our entertainment i mean a lot of people were surprised when Don Matrick and all of them came out saying, hey, here's the Xbox One, and it's all about TV integration and this and that. And it's like, yeah. well, Bill Gates did say at the original Xbox launch that, hey, we want this console to eventually be the hub of your entertainment in your living room. 
And that's exactly what they went towards with integrating TV pass through integrating TV guides and all that was to make it so that you turn on your Xbox. So you wanted to watch TV, movies, play games. All you had to do is use one, one TV top box instead of having like five or six of them. Like we were used to, cause it used to be, you have to have your cable box that connects to your cable. You had to have the DVR box for to, in order to watch your HD DVR stuff and record that. Like, people would have like three or four set boxes plus a VCR or DVD player to enjoy all the entertainment where like the Xbox was, Hey, it's a DVD player. It's a console. You can watch TV through it and you do all that. Um, but they just focus too much on the TV stuff that it turned people off. Plus all the other negatives with the Xbox one launch of like, you had to always be online. Uh, the used game thing was really weird. Like basically they're trying to screw out the stores for used games to prevent to kind of keep the revenue within the system instead of giving all the used game revenue to gaming stores. Because basically at that time, and where things are going, brick-and-mortar stores made all their money off of used games. I remember trading in a, in a bunch of games, like, that game's only worth $3. That's bullshit. You're selling it for like $49 right there. <laughs> and like, as everybody knows, the trade-in ratio for gaming, games sucked ass, especially at GameStop, who unfortunately became the monopoly and was like the end-all, be-all game store. You'd get better trade in value if you could go to like small places like pink gorilla or mom or mom pop places or like uh fantastic fantastic land i think it was where you could actually go and trade games in and actually get decent uh value off of them down here we have uh, in san diego we have luna video games but if i could touch on one more thing about 360 because when you were saying all that you you got me remembering like so much stuff about it in terms of like the, the the features it really had because the 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 dashboard changed so significantly right and that's actually something that I think is important on the Xbox One because they updated that one too um, but the dashboard had changed so much and made it so much more approachable I mean we had the Blade system and then we went to this like new Fandangled I mean I guess they called it Metro or whatever well no actually they went to NXE and then they went to Metro NXE that's was right. like hey here's your avatars now now you have an avatar that represents you that you could customize and give it clothing and all this other stuff which i remember people uh were getting knocked off the system because you go online you could download the nxe demo and not and get it without being in like the in the demo circle but it would block you from getting on xbox live until they finally released the nxe uh, in your area <laughs> yeah i i love the avatar system i mean i, I still have my 360 avatar on the, the xbox one um but they yeah, like the the 360 really did have some ingenious aspects about it that that really still carry over to this day. And I mean, um, even during the 360 era, when Phil Spencer uh, was was wasn't even head of Xbox at the time, he hinted about cross platform gaming, which was an interesting thing that a lot of people didn't talk about. Like Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony, they never played well together. They kind of hated each other, right? Even when they would have like a third party, like Call of Duty, right? Remember Xbox 360 was like the big console in terms of online multiplayer between them and PS3. So Call of Duty was had a 60-day launch exclusivity on the, the, the Microsoft console. But then when the PS4 came out, that was number one. And then Call of Duty then switched to being a PS4 game um, for a 60-day exclusivity. And uh, when we saw all this technology come out and the cool thing is, is, is we were there for the, the Xbox one launch party, which I, I still have fond memories of with everybody kind of celebrating despite the, the fact that we had all these hiccups. Right. Um, and it's funny because I think it's interesting how with, 
and every console since the one hasn't really had any hiccups right they've with the 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 xbox one x was a great console xbox one s is a great console series s and x so far shaping up to be great consoles when 360 launched it had the red ring right and they increased the warranty up to three years because people would buy it thing would i mean you my first 360 you gave it to me i played mass effect at my buddy chris chris mann's house right I, I beat all of Mass Effect 1 before I ever owned it, and you sent me a Red Ring Xbox. It had a three-year warranty. I sent it in for repair, got it shipped back, and they basically just sent me a new console, and I, I or a used console, should I say, and then I was playing that. And, uh, you know, so they, they Microsoft ate a billion dollars on that Red Ring, and that just goes to show you how committed they were to kind of taking care of their <clears> customers. <throat> Xbox One launched in that, I call it the VCR Xbox, but the base v- Xbox One, that one, I remember at launch, they said, this is going to last you at least 10 years. Well, I, I've had this sucker for, you You also, oddly enough, gave me this one, so thank you. Um, but that <laughs> one, it, it's still going, right? And I, I've used, put a lot of hours into this console, and I see no reason to replace it. It's a, it's still a really great console, and Halo Infinite plays great on it. And this came out in, in 2013. We're talking, um, you know, when, when it launched, and that party was great. Um, obviously there was some hiccups as well with Xbox One's launch because there was this horrible miscommunication thanks to Don Matrick about how it's going to require online to play your games even if you own the disc. You can't share your game disc because the disc is the license to your console and it's one per console. But then they had this weird thing about how if you download a game digitally, you could have up to 10 consoles with your game licenses, but you have to be online. Right? Yeah, the thing is, like when it comes to licenses and whatnot, like it's a complicated thing and the average consumer doesn't understand it. Like Even today, people don't understand what a home console is versus their other console. Um and that and like people who do understand it know how to like work that system very well to so where it's like where it's like they have two consoles in their house and they can both play uh, buy a game once and people can both play it uh but they have to basically not play on their home console uh at least the person who buys it and that way the other person plays on that console and they actually play it like all that stuff even if I, we try to explain it here people would get lost not quite understand they'd have questions about it and that's the thing is that with xbox one launch they got too much into the technical data type of side of it to where people don't understand what you're saying all they heard was hey i have to have licenses hey i can't share my games hey i have to be on online all the time what about all the single player games which anytime even today if somebody announces a game that says hey you have to be connected uh to the online system to play it if it's not a multiplayer game or a mobile or something uh, if it's a single-player game, people always get up arms. Like, why do I have to be online to play a single-player game? What if the power's out? I want to be able to play my game, dude. Yeah, the internet's it's... out or something like that. Um, but like the real saving grace, I think that helped get Xbox One over that hump was one, the changing of the market. Right. So like 360 came out and they introduced this concept of hey, we can update the so- the system. Right. That's when they came up with the new NXE dashboard that came out with the metro dashboard they started adding new features to a piece of hardware uh that didn't originally have it so like by the time the 360 era ends your 360 can now download digital games which it couldn't when it first bought it uh it can now connect to tv services because i remember i had the xfinity app and i was able to watch tv on demand uh yeah. on my xbox on various different channels and whatnot 
if I may add to that too, when you're talking about the apps, remember Netflix came out, you could invite people for a, for a time, at least you could invite people in and watch a shared movie on Netflix. Um, and you could also use your own external hard drive. So like if your hard drive that came with the console didn't work anymore, you could always just get another hard drive that's external, hook it up via USB and you're gaming in no time or a USB drive for that matter. Yeah. And that's the thing is that when the console first came out, they had like USB drive, drive ports for the controllers and whatnot, but you weren't using a USB drive for it. You weren't transferring your profile from console to console when it first came out. They gave you that features later on. So fast forward to 2013, Xbox One comes out. Uh, disastrous launch because of the miscommunication. Uh, even though it has some cool features like game DVR, which got completely overlooked, I think, over time. Or you could finally record the cool moments in your game and share them with all your friends. I love um, that. <clears throat> And it's still there today, but like they had a whole big community of Upload Studio where people would edit their videos and put compilations together. But like again, Microsoft just kind of like, well, this isn't as successful as we want it to be, so we dropped it. <laughs> um, they had some great features in there. Like uh, I think one other feature I really missed off the Xbox One is the snap feature. I mean, I loved being able to snap Netflix, watch binge watch a TV show while I played a video game. Like it sounds like counter too, but like I could sit there and play. <laughs> Like, our right, cool, I'm play through Halo and, like, watch, have the show play in the background. I can watch both at the same time. But apparently, I was in the minority and they got rid of that feature because not enough people used it. Yeah, you're crazy, dude. Just just choose one. No, man. I got to do everything all at once. I need monitors all around me. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny because, like, you know, the Xbox One, like, talking about how the 360 changed a lot, I think really for me – you really saw the change in Xbox One from how they handled the customer and the features when Phil Spencer got promoted ahead of Xbox. So Don Matrick gets out, Phil Spencer steps in. He starts to really fix a lot of these issues, right? And Because um, remember, backwards compatibility, they were like, I remember Don Matrick was saying, well, if you want to play 360 games, buy a 360. And it was like, dude, the 360 already had Xbox original backwards yeah. compatibility right out the box. Why wouldn't you do this Xbox One? Phil Spencer kind of steps in and he basically says, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. He starts fixing it. And the backwards compatibility, that's still a program that's going on. I mean, I, I hope we continue to see more updates from that program. Um, it's probably one of my most favorite features. But, you know, it'd be really cool to kind of just have it. Like, there's there's still some games I want to play. And I still have an original Xbox. I still have a 360. But Phil Spencer was really pivotal in changing a lot of these things from the customer's focus. And... You know, the original Xbox One was not a very powerful console. It launched with the Kinect. It was expensive. Thank God they dropped the Kinect as, as being required in that bundle, and you could just buy the console. And because of that, Microsoft was able to, to shave off 100 bucks on the cost, and you can buy a, a more affordable Xbox One, and it was more financially competitive for customers. And I think that's when it started to do a little bit better. And to add to that, you you really saw um, things change when the Xbox One X cha uh, came out because the original Xbox was the most powerful console on the market. PS4 comes out, it's the most powerful console on the market. Xbox One X comes out, it's once again, Microsoft is at the top of the power market and they were able to, to cater to that high-end gaming demographic. Well, that's the thing is I think with the wave of the 360 coming, uh, it was on, the 360 was on a wave not only having great games, uh, great innovation, but it was also innovating hardware and technology as it was going, right? Because the Kinect was basically the answer to the Nintendo Wii, right? Because Nintendo was using motion controls 
and it was very approachable to kids of all ages. It was the kids' console. The Xbox was the adolescent's console, uh, like PlayStation was. So families still bought Nintendo. Nintendo had like had always had like the highest selling handhelds, and the Wii was one of their highest selling consoles ever because it was so approachable and motion control. So everybody thought, oh, we're gonna go the way of motion controls. Well, what's better than motion controls of having to have a controller and stuff that people keep throwing at TVs and breaking? <laughs> we'll do the connect where your body's the controller. And that actually was fairly successful on the 360, right? The connect games that were focused on using the connect worked really well. The problem was, is that since they're on this hardware uh, wave, when the th- Xbox one came out, it was like, well, your game has to have some type of connect, connect uh, functionality, whether it be a voice command or a movement or a gesture, you need to work that into your game somehow. So now Microsoft, instead of like, developers make games and have you know more freedom of what they're going to do now it was well if you're working for uh, microsoft studio you have to uh, integrate the connect somehow and there's a lot of game features like even even on the playstation one of the things i hate about it is that motion control controller that they have that six axis shit the fact that they implement that into games is so annoying because like there's literally games where it's like all right i have to put the controller down the table because if i move it at all it's going to fuck up the sequence in this cutscene, and I'm gonna and I'm, my character's gonna die, all because I'm just holding a controller. No, <laughs> get rid of that shit. I don't want to move the controller around like a steering wheel or anything like that. It's a controller. Let it work as a controller. So, so- Sony has kept on that wave, and they keep the six-axis stuff in there, uh, even to today's news game. Where Microsoft finally said, okay, the Connect was kind of a fad. People don't want to spend money on it. People don't like it when we force the functionality into games. Let's go back to games just being games. That's what Phil Spencer did. He said, cool, what really helped the Xbox One survive was, hey, backwards compatibility. All your old games, you can play it on the new ones. Nobody had to go and buy a whole new library of games. They could just play their old games on the new console. Then they started re-releasing old games on the console to kind of keep it fresh. So people started buying that stuff. You no longer had Connect uh, bogging you down, and the functionality and the new, the new wave of hardware is no longer gimmicky stuff like motion controls. It was, we want 4K, we want high def, we want ray tracing, we want things to run faster on SSDs. So then, with the focus going that way, with the Xbox One X, um, and uh, being basically still an Xbox One, but just a better iteration of it. We got a better console. It runs things faster. It plays it plays all the old games as well as the new games. And the cool thing was the new games that came out for it still played fine on the old Xbox as well. <laughs> so that kind of forced everybody's hand to be like, well, everybody's backwards compatibility now. The Nintendo Switch has old has re-released old games on it. Um, the PlayStation is basically back compatible where they've let some old PS3 games and then they've re-released older games to run on the new hardware because that is now the expectation. If you come up with a console, I better be able to play last gen's games on it. If I can't, then you're you're not worth buying versus the Xbox console is going to let me keep playing their old games regardless. There's, there's a huge difference though because so on the, the PS5, only PS4 is directly backwards compatible. You have to use the subscription service to play any other games on it, um, which was a big shift for Sony. It was weird to kind of see them do that after, you know, PS2 played PS1, right? The PS3, the, the original fat PS3, that actually had a PS2 um, hardware in it, and that's why it could play the majority of the games. And then they had one that kind of played half, and then 
by the end of the life cycle, they're like, just cut it. It's too expensive, right? Well, that's um, also but, why it's, why Microsoft has come out and said, hey, if you want to play 360 games, just play on a 360. Because Sony had the same attitude with yeah. the PS4. It's like, oh, you have a PS3. Keep your PS3 games there. We're on the, we're doing the new and improved stuff. You buy new stuff now. That whole that whole th- uh, thought process and way of thinking had to change all because Phil Spencer said, no, we're doing backwards compatibility. Your whole library is going to go with you. And because of how big the 360 library was and how successful it was, it pushed everyone else in having to do this exact same thing because it's like I, nobody wants to buy their games over again. Nobody wants to throw up, throw away all their old games. Yeah. But And it's a lot easier to convince your parents not to get rid of your old console or your old games when you say, well, I can still play on the new one. I can play all the old. So we have thousands of games to play on the new console. We're not just going to have one or two games. So... That whole push forced Sony's hands to do stuff. Even though Sony, I feel like, is still doing it kind of ass backwards. Because Sony's been fighting the cross-platform movement. They've been fighting the backwards compatibility yep. stuff. They've all been, well, we're number one, so why do we have to play well with others? Where Xbox and Nintendo were kind of like, we don't care. We'll let you play wherever you want to play. Because even though even the developers have changed the, the attitude, right? Because, yeah, there are still exclusive games for platforms. Because the manufacturer, like Microsoft, owns those companies. Sony owns those developer companies. So they have exclusivity, right? And the big thing in the 360 era was exclusivity. Who had the better exclusives, right? And Sony usually has better exclusives than any, than any of the competition, other than like the, the core Nintendo franchises that always come out. Um, and every, But now, in the th- and I think more so in the Xbox One world, it was more of, hey... I'm a developer. Why would I limit my income to just one console uh, community when I can launch my game on all the consoles, get all the gamers, and get all the money? So now it's down to timed exclusives. You're exclusive for a year. You're exclusive for six months. Then I'm going to launch on everything else so I can get all the other uh, gamers involved. Because developers are no longer concerned with, I need to sell your plat- your console to sell my game. It's, I put my game on any console and on PC and I'll make all the money, your console just has to be able to run it. Uh, versus before it was like, here's our console, it's more, it's the most powerful thing, build your game on this, you'll sell our console, we'll sell your game. And I don't think that mentality is there anymore. I think it's, we can get our game on everything, so everybody has to play nice with each other. And I, I honestly think when consoles do the best these days, is and especially from a feature standpoint, it's when they try to compete with Steam, Right. I think the beginning of of Microsoft trying to compete with that um, was obviously the friends list was a big thing, right? You didn't really have it in PS2, um, but you had a friends list suddenly. You could chat. Um, you could send text messages, whatnot. Um, party system was cool, so you could have multiple people talking to a room, so it's not just one-on-one. Um, and more recently, uh, they announced that you can play without a subscription if it's a free-to-play game. On Steam, you don't pay for a membership. You just buy the game and you can play it, right? Talking about backwards compatibility, if I bought a game in like 2010 on Steam, I still own the game. And as long as I have a PC that supports the game, I can play it no problem, right? That's, I think, where Microsoft... And and Phil Spencer made a comment recently about how backwards compatibility and emulation is like something that's needed to kind of maintain gaming history because... How else are you going to play a lot of these games authentically and get that authentic experience? It's very difficult to say when 
the the owners of these platforms don't even support it. I mean, remember we talked about Scott Pilgrim. We were talking about how like it doesn't handle the same between 360 and Xbox One. It it just seems I don't know if it's slower or what, but it doesn't flow as well and it's not as much fun. I've I've gone back and played it on the 360 and I could tell the difference of the control uh, the way the control kind of responds and the way the game responds, it's not the same. And that's a challenge, I think, with a lot of these games. But just having that compatibility, that backwards compatibility for your favorite games, it's almost necessary at this point because some people just want to play a handful of games. And backwards compatibility, in my opinion, I think it's the reason why Mass Effect got re-released. Because it, if a developer just releases a game, right... And they're, they kind of want to test the waters. Maybe I want to do a remaster, put out Bioshock backwards compatibility, and you could finally play with that 60 frames per second, which you couldn't before on the 368. You could unlock it, but my God, the, the frame rate was atrocious. So then the, the one comes around, you can play it backwards compatible, unlock 60 frames. It's like playing the same game like never before. And and then now with, with the backwards compatibility, you also have select games having 4K, improved textures, um, faster load times my god that's probably been one of my favorite things is just faster load times you don't have to sit there and wait between loading screens um, the closer i see consoles mimicking that steam sort of feature set i think that's when you're gonna find ubiquity amongst all of all of gaming between all these platforms between mobile pc and home consoles is when they kind of hit that mark and I'm I'm still hoping that maybe at some point you can just use chat without a subscription because I think that'd be a great feature to kind of pull people in because I think that's why Game Pass is so successful, which we haven't mentioned that yet. But Game Pass has been a tremendous success, and I think you did a, a better job kind of covering a lot of its high points in the previous podcast. Um, but that one really changed the game. It changed development. It's, um, you know, Sony still insists they don't want to compete with it, but to me that's stupid because... Clearly, it does work if you execute it correctly. Um, and I, I've seen Microsoft take these risks and succeed. I think that's been one of the best successes as a gaming industry at large, for especially for gamers. Well, yeah, and the thing is, like, yeah, we have a whole podcast dedicated to just Game Pass because of how revolutionary that system is. And even uh, most, even recently, I saw articles of them reaffirming how Game Pass is working so well and how it's sustainable because. People like it. People at Sony and everyone else is like, "Hey, this is an unsustainable way to do this. It's not going to work. It's not going to work." But it is working. People are, are subscribing to it. Whether they got on, they got on it with a one dollar conversion fee to convert all their current gold over to Game Pass, or if they are paying like the fifteen dollars a month for Game Pass Ultimate or whatnot, uh, monthly or yearly or what, whatever. People enjoy the concept of I have access to a huge library of games. I can just download them and I can play them as long as they're in the Game Pass system. I don't have to pay $60 for it. So they feel like they're getting their money's worth right away. Uh, even for this, like the 20th anniversary, that uh, the 15th, they announced, hey, guess what? Here's literally probably one of the Xbox's first free-to-play games was Halo, Halo Infinite. It's a completely free-to-play multiplayer. Anybody can play it. But the campaign... You're going to have to buy that if you want to play the single player. But if you're a Game Pass member, I get the campaign already. And I didn't have to pay $60 for the new game. Call of Duty, I mean, I won the one of the people that fucked up, right? I bought the three, I bought the Xbox One version when I had Xbox One X. So it was fucking crashing and breaking all the time. <laughs> had to buy the Xbox cross-platform version of Call of Duty Cold War to get 
one that actually played correctly. And even then, it's like, well, here's the old generation one that's like sixty bucks. The new generation game is going to be seventy bucks, and they still do that with uh, Activision. Still does that with some games, especially on, on Sony, where they have it split up. Um, and Activision themselves are kind of fucked up, where they're they're still uh, the latest Call of Duty was still here's a old gen, here's a cross uh, gen version, and then here's like just the new gen version. Because Sony does that where, like, hey, your PS5 version is only your PS5 version. It won't work on your PS4. It's a convoluted and stupid way of doing stuff because with the World of Game Pass, we already can just get games at almost no cost or very little cost versus having to make sure we buy the right version of a game to make sure it plays correctly on the right piece of hardware we have. Like, that's archaic thinking. Xbox is now in the mode where play your games anywhere uh they even with the cloud gaming that they came out with which was originally hey play your games on your mobile device or on your laptop or when you're not with your console mm-hmm. they've now just added recently within the last couple of weeks again they didn't announce this at their 20th anniversary but it just came out i think last week was hey cloud gaming is now available on your console you can now pick a cloud gaming game and just play it off the cloud instead of having to wait for it to install on your hardware and it's like okay now I really can play anything anywhere, whether it's on my console or whether it's on my phone or on my laptop. I have access to my my whole game library everywhere, which is great uh, to see happen and see move forward. Where people are still trying to hold on to the archaic way we did things before when we had limitations on bandwidth and internet, because that's a good way of making money. If you can sell Call of Duty in three different formats. Why not sell it in three different formats versus selling it for one price and it working across multiple pieces of hardware? Because um, right now, like I said, I only see Activision games that do that. That and probably a Blizzard game that might be because they're owned by the same company that do, that do those different iterations, which are confusing to the customers. And people constantly buy the wrong version, and then when they buy the new hardware, they have to buy the new game again in order to keep playing it. So it's not real backwards compatibility. It's more, hey, customer, we're going to fuck you over and make you buy the same thing over and over again. (laughs) Um, Whereas, like, stuff like Elder Scrolls, uh, Skyrim Anniversary Edition just came out, right? That They're selling that for an extra 20 bucks. So for $20, you got... Uh, you got all the DLC that they kind of came out with in their creation club, which surprisingly actually was a lot. Um, but if you didn't buy it, you still got four major updates just given to you. And it doesn't matter if you're playing on a th- Xbox One Series X, a Series S, and an Xbox One uh, X or an Xbox One. You could play. Everybody got the same update. Everybody got all the f- all the free same content. I didn't have to buy one for each different edition much like what some games are doing and what Sony is doing. Like Sony did that with their Spider-Man. Spider-Man Miles Morales on PS5 is different than Spider-Man on on the PS4. You can upgrade the PS4 to the PS5 edition, but the PS5 edition doesn't play on the PS4. (laughs) It's like, this makes no sense. Guys, why are you making this convoluted? And so that's why I'm so thankful that the Xbox took the direction they did. And, and kind of going back to Game Pass, too, it's like we're talking about it as like, I guess the, the old phrase would be hardcore gamers, right? We, we've been playing for a long time, and there's a handful of games that we play hardcore. 
But my buddy Josh, he doesn't even have an Xbox, but he has a subscription. And the reason why he has it is he plays like a handful of games online. Like he plays Dead by Daylight with me. He doesn't have the Steam version. He has the Windows 10 store version. And then um, we were talking about Halo Infinite multiplayer, right? And I was like, dude, we should we should play this. Um, you know, you have a subscription. Um, you, all you got to do is just either have Game Pass to access the game. And uh, I don't know, because the Game Pass now includes the cloud gaming, right? I don't know if that yeah. includes Halo Infinite or not. But if that does, that's a great option, too. You don't have to have a powerful PC or an Xbox console. You can now just game with a subscription and your tablet. Yeah. Um, far as I know, Halo Infinite multiplayer should, it should be 100% free to play for everybody. It's not. It should not be locked behind Game Pass. Um, I might have to double check that, or somebody can comment and let us know if we're wrong on that. But um, my understanding is that's completely free to play, much like how Fortnite's a free to play game, right? Um, but the campaign on Halo Infinite is one that you have to have Game Pass to basically not pay the sixty bucks for it up front. Which honestly is going to be fantastic because the Halo Infinite campaign actually is looking better and better every time I see more videos about it. Um, but to kind of move on a little bit is in the 20 years of Xbox, like, as we said, and as we've discussed in this podcast already, it's changed. Xbox has changed, has been around and has been kind of the forerunner in changing the, the landscape of the gaming industry. All right. They were forward thinking in tech. They're forward thinking in how to deliver stuff. They, they recognize that. Yes, there's the console world and there's the PC world, but why do they have to be completely separate, right? So let's make Xbox gaming more like PC gaming, where we get the full backwards compatibility, where we get the ability to move our games across all the hardware that we want. Uh, get the, the, That's more on par with PC gaming to now where the only difference between a PC gamer and a console gamer is the fact that if you buy a game on PC... You might have to update your video card. You might have to update stuff in order to run it. If I buy a game on a console, I can play it on whatever console I have in the in the Xbox ecosystem that will, that it plays on, which right now is Xbox One through Xbox Series X and S. Yeah, until yeah, they kill, kill the connectivity on Xbox One, I'm pretty sure that's how it's always going to be. If I could add one thing to that too, um, obviously... There's, there's been a severe issue with supplies of both the, the PS5, the Xbox Series X, and S. There's been a, a, a serious supply shortage on, on all of them. Even though the S, the Series S is 300 bucks, it's just, it's just hard to get a hold of them, especially now that we're you know entering the holiday era. They're just selling out quickly. So a lot of developers have opted to still continue releasing games on PS4 and Xbox One consoles, which is great for us, right? Because... Halo Infinite. I was seriously worried that wasn't going to come out on one. Like I said, I still have a base Xbox One. Uh, Flight Simulator. Sorry, I'm not going to get that unless I upgrade, which is unfortunate because I, I I think I probably will never play it now. But there are games like Halo Infinite where I'm honestly impressed with how great the graphics look. It looks amazing. It plays amazing. I do play it off a external SSD, um, so it loads pretty quickly. Um, you're on the, the Series X and S, which obviously is like the, the, best, the best way to play was on the Series X. But the fact that you're still seeing support from a console release in 2013, eight, well, yeah, yeah, eight years later, is insane. And the fact that, the, that they're cranking out such great graphics on it is impressive. Um, the support is great. 
I, I just hope we continue to see that type of support for a few more years at least because, I mean, Series uh, Xbox One X released in 2017, right? It's only been four years. I think it'd be great to see that console see support for maybe another two or three years with new games, right? Sports games are always the last game on a console generation, but if it's that hard to get your hands on a new console, I think it'd behoove developers and publishers to publish games on, on Xbox One um, just to kind of have that base to sell the game to. And also just for people like me who are just, they're not yet seeing that must-have killer app on these new consoles. And that's the thing is that the Xbox Series X launch is a very strange one, right? Because the pandemic hits, studios have to shut down, people have to go have to go work from home, or, or literally there's maybe a couple weeks where they're not working. Uh, one of the things that I was doing in my current job, um, we were testing the hardware for the Series X and S. And when the pandemic hit, we literally went home for two weeks and didn't do any work on it, thinking that, all right, after two weeks, we'll go back to the office. And then when that didn't happen, the shift had to change to put everybody to work from home because they weren't going to push back the launch of this stuff. Sony's not pushing back their launch. Xbox isn't going to push back their launch. So we got the work done and the console comes out on time, right? To where now you have a console out, but all the developers went home. All the developers stopped working on their games because the pandemic they couldn't they couldn't work in the studio they didn't have access they weren't easily weren't big enough or had the resources enough like a company like Microsoft or Amazon or Sony to sit there and just send everybody home work from home right so all the games come out they all come out for the Xbox One X uh, and you know the launch titles launch with the Series X because like they delayed Halo because people one had a bad reaction to the preview. <laughs> but also they need to do more work on which I'm glad they took that extra year, right? So you have a whole year of a game cycle of a console's life where very little actually comes out for that console that's designed specifically for it. What they ended up doing was here's the games that come out on Xbox One X. We're still launching stuff for Xbox One repeatedly. That's where all these new games are. All right, now we're going to update it so that it can take advantage of all the new tech that's in the new hardware. So now there's a Series X and S version and an Xbox One version. Um, it works on either console either way, and you'll play whatever version based on whatever console you're on. Um, so it give, we have a whole year of basically Xbox One cons- games coming out, not Xbox Series X and S games, until towards the very end of this year. Now we're getting games that are like, wow, this game actually looks next-gen. The graphic fidelity, the animation looks really, really crisp. It's using ray tracing. It's using the 4K uh, from the get-go. It's not an add-on that comes on later uh, because now those games can finally start coming out since people have gone back to work. Uh, It's made it for any other launch before this. There's always been, hey, here's our killer app. Here's our killer item for this, whether it be the uh, Kinect title or Halo, or Call of Duty. There's something coming out with launch, with launch of a console to sell the console. PS5 and Xbox Series X came out without a, without a killer app. I mean, Sony kind of had Miles Morales Spider-Man, but everybody played was like, well, this is a DLC for Spider-Man 4, or for the <laughs> Spider-Man game. Not really. It's it's game. They pushed back their Horizon Zero Dawn title. Uh, to, I, think, I, think, I think it still hasn't come out yet, though. Uh, Way of the e- way of the lands of the east or whatever it is, that's gonna uh, was supposed to be a killer title, and we spent a whole year of hey we're re-releasing old titles on the new consoles with 
upgraded features because new consoles can do that. Sony would do stuff like, hey, buy Last of Us 2 again. <laughs> Xbox more <laughs> so did, all right, you have this copy. If you have a Series X and S, we've updated it so it has all those features now. Which, again, to me, puts a much better business uh, practice on there. It's like, cool, I don't have to buy the game again. You're just upgrading it. I bought Watch Dogs uh, Legion when it came out in October, right before the uh, Xbox Series X launch came out. It w- played through it. It works fine on my Series X. And then later on this year, all right, cool, here's the 60 frame and ray tracing update. Now it's a Series X game. Uh, you can play it on that, or you play it on your old console, and it still works fine. Yeah, it's funny how um, even though there's no killer app, I still think about picking up at least a Series S because I- I'm just looking for the best experience, right? I remember we were playing a game. We were talking at the same time. We launched the same game. And you're we like, all right, are you ready? I was like, dude, I'm, I'm still launching the game. Like, it takes me a minute. It takes you like 10 seconds um, because they're using that fast NVMe SSD technology on, on those new consoles. And it's impressive, right? And kind of talking about like games right it's like yes when i say it's the best way to play the games i'm not lying i mean you have 63 original xbox games you can play on the series s and x as well as the one you have 632 xbox 360 games you can play on the series s and x as well as the one so right out the box you've almost got about 700 additional games on top of the the ones that are exclusive um, to the series s and x and then obviously i I'm, i'm unaware of those handful of games like the cod games but generally speaking, if it's an Xbox One game, it'll play on your Xbox Series S and X. So there's yeah, still that's... a reason to buy it, especially when the Series S is 300 bucks and you get 1440p, fast game load times. I mean, it's it boots crazy fast. It looks and amazing. That's the thing. How they had to sell this console was not, hey, play, play the next Halo on the Series X, right? It was, hey, our console's coming out. There's thousands of games available for it. They're just all the games you already own. <laughs> and all the games have already come out. They, it plays on this one. Because I remember that's constantly the pitch that they would say all the time. It's like, Xbox Series X, thousands of games are ready for available to play at launch. It's like, thousands of backwards compatible games. Like, we have no new games for it. But we have all the old games and all the new Xbox One games. We'll work on it. Um, but that's how you had to sell these this new console. Because nobody had games like there's so many games that we were expecting to come out in the last two years that either they got canceled they got pushed back even further or they just no longer exist because the whole covid thing completely stopped everybody in their tracks and some and in some cases killed complete development of titles now um some of the things that i wanted to also bring up before we go here because we are going a little over an hour um is in this generation of gaming, right, and not and these games weren't all necessarily just Xbox exclusive games. Some of them were on other platforms, or were on the PlayStation as well, or even PC. But in this twenty years, these are some of the breakout franchises that kind of, that people, kids now today, who the Xbox Series X is their first console, and they're playing Assassin's Creed Valhalla. That started on the three hundred and sixty, man. Assassin's Creed was <laughs> a, was I remember that being a huge title when it launched Assassin's Creed Two. Borderlands, huge franchise that started in the 360. Halo started in the original Xbox and is still going strong after 20 years. Call of Duty started on the original Xbox. Going strong, that's de- that's debatable depending on who who's playing it. There are they do have their fan base, but they're still going. Red Dead Redemption with Red Dead uh, Revolver Redemption and then Red Dead Redemption Two. That's kind of a whole franchise, the Mass Effect franchise. 
Elder Scrolls was really just a PC-based game until Morrowind landed on the th- on uh, 360. Now that's become a console-based game, and now the new Elder Scrolls games are going to be Xbox exclusives because Microsoft owns Bethesda. Dragon Age, a huge franchise that kind of started with Boulder's Gate, got moved, started with on 360, and made its way uh, to the new new generation. Fable, there's supposed to be another Fable coming out here that I think Playground Games is working on. That started on the original Xbox. I remember in 2004 when that came out and uh, going to the game store and picking up the original Fable. And I remember watching the trailers with you and all the promises that we were supposed to have with Fable that <laughs> weren't there. You hear all that in our Fable podcast because we went over that game, that franchise as well, too. Um, <clears throat> those games all started within these past 20 years, some of them on the original Xbox, some of them on the 360. But now they're going to span the entire lifetime of the gaming industry because they're so notable and so memorable. I don't think 30 years from now, people will still talk about, oh yeah, the Assassin's Creed franchise, the Halo franchise, Mass Effect, whether or not the other games that come out are going to be good or bad. The least trilogy is going to be remembered forever. Fable is going to remember Elder Scrolls is now a mainstream game franchise, which at one point was strictly only PC, high fantasy, hardcore nerd type of game that only those type of people would play. Now everybody plays Skyrim, all right? That's what happened in the last 20 years. And that's mostly, I would say, because a lot of what Xbox brought to the field that pushed Sony and Nintendo to up their game. I don't feel like Sony made a lot of innovations to push the playing field forward, where Nintendo had their focus on children and kids stuff and pushed stuff forward with like motion controls and handheld gaming is where they owned the owned the the world xbox and pc gaming have kind of what's pushed the envelope forward and xbox has been hey we're going to be like pc but our only difference is when you buy a game it's going to work no matter what yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah i have a lot of great memories with the xbox platform as a whole since the beginning um everything from fantasy star online right playing that from dreamcast moving it over to xbox um, to, to Left 4 Dead 2 being one of my personal favorites on, on the 360, and even Payday 2 on both 360 and the Xbox One. Um, huge fan of Dead Island. I uh, really love the first Dead Island. Uh, I, I would actually still recommend the first Dead Island more than the, the Xbox One remaster because I feel like it has more issues than the 360 release. Um, but you have the Halo series. And one thing I kind of want to say is, is if you're a purist and you're really concerned like myself about preserving your gaming, um, just for the future, honestly, the thing I like is the 360, you can just install an SSD externally through USB. You know, that thing's going to last you a pretty long time. And, uh, you could just get a two terabyte SSD, put it in a case, uh, like a SATA drive, put it in a case. Plug it in, set up the dashboard, download your games, transfer your license to that console and that drive. You're good. That thing's going to last you a long, long time. Um, it's it's one way to preserve it. And the reason why I say that is one of the tragedies of the original Xbox is 2010, they pulled the servers. So if that game didn't have multiplayer via System Link, goodbye. Uh, if if it does have System Link, which is why I'm I'm happy that Red Dead Redemption does, is like sometimes when it's very rare, but sometimes here at my house, I have a 360 and an original Xbox and an Xbox One at two different stations. So at any time we can play System Link, and Red Dead Redemption was one of those fun games you can play because it's a little more responsive than doing it via online. And at least when those online servers get pulled, because 
let's be honest, they're not going to last forever. My hope is they will, but I, I, I don't think they will. It, it's still nice to have features like that. Like one of the hardest things for me to play a game like Dead by Daylight is I know at some point those servers are going to go and that game's going to go with it. And it will it basically is like Free Guy, right? The movie Free Guy where yep. it's like, hey, at some point Free City's going to go and your game's just going to go with it and all your time and everything that you've invested in it. You, you'll never be able to go back. Um, but I, I really think if games were going to keep that forward thinking, as Phil Spencer said, with emulation being key, I think one of the other things that is key is keeping the multiplayer side of games intact. And I'm not really sure how to do it, but I mean, if you're if if you're listening and you're a whiz with code, I think one fascinating way that things could be done is like Xlink Kai and things of that nature that let you play uh, System Link through it. Um, there's a, another project going on, and I I apologize for not knowing the name because I'm on the Discord for it, but there's a guy who's working on a mod for your original Xbox so that he can literally re, like, resurrect Xbox Live for the original Xbox, and you can continue it again. And I can't remember that name. If you look it up, though, uh, you'll find it. I know it's, it's head by a guy out of, of, of the UK, smart guy, really generous. I, I donated to his cause because... I think it'd be great to play Battlefront 2 online again. But this is part of, I think, the challenge with with modern gaming. You have backwards compatibility. That's one challenge. But how do you preserve those online features? That's the thing is that those are the problems of the future, right? Like, so as I said, in the last 20 years, we went from you had to buy a game, put it in your console to play it, to now where you can just download it and play it. Now we play online with people. We're playing matchmaking to where, okay, there's games where servers are going to die, but at least those, at least back in the day, all games was single player, multiplayer. Now you have games that are multiplayer only, and I've kind of always shied away from buying a multiplayer only game because eventually that server is going to die, and then you have a game that's unplayable. As much as I like Dead by, Dead by Daylight, yeah, you're right. One day they're going to shut that down. That company either gets bought by somebody else, or they finally shut down, or something happens. The servers will go down and then you have a game that is completely unplayable because it only functions as a multiplayer game. They're going to have to find a solution for that because eventually once that happens to too many games after probably a generation of games going getting shut down completely because of it and then people having uh, paid money for something that no longer works, there's going to be an uprising of people like, no. I paid my $60, I should be able to play this game whenever I fucking want. And the fact that you turned off the server and now I don't have it, I want my money back for it or something, right? Or, or hey, maybe I got my money's worth and I don't care. But there's always going to be somebody who's going to be complaining about that. That's the next problem that needs to get solved in the future. Just like, hey, DLC was something that everybody complained about. Hey, you're monetizing play for win. Play for win became a problem. Well, now people figure out a way. How do we get off of? How do we monetize the game and not make it pay to win? Okay, you make pay for stuff only cosmetic. They found that solution, uh, and then they're going to move forward to the next one to uh, try and maybe solve this online problem. Because, yeah, when you play a game and you don't, and its components are all the online connectivity, once the servers get shut down for Fortnite, what happens there? I think like. Fortnite's gonna be the game that when they kill the servers on there and there's not a big and people aren't there's not another big game for that whole community to move to, that's gonna be the one that people are gonna complain the most about. Like, hey, Fortnite, I can't play it anymore. But it was also a free to play game, so unless you bought the original base game that nobody plays anymore, <laughs> people may not care that much. But 
it has such a huge community that if somebody went up and said, you know, I really hate Fortnite. I'm going to go buy Epic, uh, buy Fortnite, own that IP, and I'm just going to shut it down. It would just piss off a lot of people. <laughs> and Yeah. I think that's the genius of Minecraft, though, to kind of make that point. Because Minecraft has dedicated servers that are private, which is amazing. Yeah, the people can run their own their own thing on it, uh, which maybe that's what's going to happen. Because like, cause like uh, Battlefield does that. Uh, it's Battlefield, yeah, Battlefield does that where like you can buy a private server. At least they did with the, with the old games. I don't know if Battlefield twenty forty two does it, but I've known Battlefield since Battlefield three to always have private servers that you could actually pay to uh have to run and maintain your own private server and have your dedicated server for your game so you pay like a monthly fee or a yearly fee to have to run it uh and then you can invite who you want in and out of it and not have to worry about them killing it maybe that's the solution but that's also very expensive right people yeah. you have to be very dedicated to a game to buy a dedicated server to play it like you're playing it every day or at least once a week every week no matter what where People play, some people play a game like that for a while when it launches, but then they'll fall off it and they won't go back to it. So you got to think of the investment there. Are you going to pay for a dedicated server for a game you're not, you don't really want to play all the time? Not really. <laughs> so it's going to be kind of a weird thing. Like a game is going to have its fan base, but when your fan base dwindles down to like less than 20 people, it's not worth keeping it on, right? Yeah. And kind of a question, I guess, to propose to us since we're talking 20 years of Xbox I think it's tough to really recommend something outright to people to play because it really depends on what type of games you play will dictate which console you buy. Personally speaking, I feel like if you're not necessarily a collector, but like you have a lot of games you want to play and and you don't mind playing them, you know, offline, the 360 is a great place to start because you can buy a lot of used games for very affordable prices as long as your disk drive is still working. And the, the 360 Slim... Um, um, I can't remember the model numbers, but the 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 black console release with the matte and shiny one, that one's a good one to start with and, and just start playing a bunch of games with great stories. Uh, I remember Dishonored 1 was released on the 360, right? Um, Deus Ex. Uh, um, is it Mankind Divided? Uh, is it, or is that the it, new one? I think that's the new one, actually. That's the new one, but, but the first one was on 360, yeah. Yeah, like there's there's a lot of great games on the 360. Far Cry 4. Um, even three, right? It's a lot of great games on 360, very affordable. You could pick up and play. There's System Link, so if you don't have the internet where you live, you could pick up some games. You can um, pick up a couple of consoles and you can play offline through System Link. Like Dead Island's a great game. I believe Gears of War also had it. The Halo franchise had it. Um, being able to play offline co-op, I think, is a great feature for people to have, especially if you're not on the same screen. Um, if you're trying to take the more affordable approach for gaming right now, um, it sounds weird, but I really think the Series S is a great start for people and just get a Game Pass. A um, lot of options. If you have a lot of people in your household, you could play a lot of games. Um, just bear in mind, if you're going to play an Xbox One title on your Series S or X, you can use an external SSD, but those new games can't. Um, so there's just something worth pointing out. But I really think it depends on, on where you want a game. I mean, if, if I was going to start, I'd probably start with the 360. You mentioned Borderlands. Borderlands 2, absolutely fun game to play. Offline uh, system link as well. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just kind of some of my thoughts on it. But I think if you like, you know, controversial as it may be, if you if you like modding a console, doing a soft mod, the original Xbox lets you do a soft mod. And 
it's a great way to put like an SSD in there or, or update the drive so that you're not worried about the drive going out on you and having to start from scratch. Whereas a 360, you can just add an external. Yeah. And I'd say with the past 20 years with Xbox, the concept I honestly feel like has just been the most fun in gaming has been in Xbox. I feel like PlayStation definitely has a few of its games that were that or exclusives that were good, like the God of War series, last of us and that stuff. Those are definitely good games, but I feel like the fun and community has always lived with Xbox I think there's a lot of people nowadays, and especially who are in this in the game industry, whether they're journalists or working in it, that are very pro PlayStation. But when you look at the value that Xbox has built over the last 20 years, I feel like there's more value in Xbox hardware now than there ever was just because of all the backwards compatibility stuff. And I feel like Xbox has really kind of captured what mainstream gaming wants and what the feel of of that is that people want to get out of that and hopefully they keep going on that same path and keep innovating and building new stuff and making it more accessible for everybody. I think the most accessible stuff in gaming right now is definitely Xbox and probably PC, but Xbox is kind of like locked it down to where I, I say, like I said, the difference between a PC gamer and a console gamer is I buy a game and it works a <laughs> PC game. It may not work if my hardware isn't up to date enough. So that to me puts xbox and console gaming a little bit above pc because i can play all the same games for the most part but not have the headache of having to update stuff now there's always going to be exclusives that are for pc exclusives for playstation or for nintendo that we will never have on this platform um and those are things that you'll have to go buy those platforms to play them on but um if i felt like hey this game is pc only it might come to xbox Whereas Zelda, it's never coming to Xbox. I'll have to buy a Nintendo Switch if I want to play a Zelda game. Uh, God of War games, never coming to Xbox. I'll have to buy a PlayStation to play God of War. But there's a ton of games that are just out on every system that are available on Xbox. And I feel like Xbox bridges that gap right in the middle where you can get everything. So hopefully they continue for another 20 years. Hopefully they have they continue great ad campaigns like the jumping campaign they have for the 360. Um, hopefully we'll see another 20 years of Xbox then, but hopefully they'll stop making documentaries about it because the <laughs> new one they announced that's coming out in December is like the sixth one. I'm just like, man, Seamus must be tired of getting a phone call every five years <laughs> to do a documentary interview about how he came up with the idea of Xbox. It's just like, we get it, dude. <laughs> Let the guy retire. He's on to other stuff. He no longer works for Microsoft. Has worked for Microsoft in the last decade. Let him do his own thing. <laughs> yeah. You made a good point that I wish we touched on more, but it's probably the last point I'll ever really talk about heavily, which is the community, right? Since the original Xbox Live launched, there's people from Battlefront 2. I don't remember how old that game is, but there's people from Battlefront 2 that I still talk to, you know, Buddy Wall Street, Big Worm. Um, there's other people that, like, I'll go years without talking to them, and then I'll, I'll throw them an invite because I'm like, hey, man, I just saw you picked up Infinite. We want to throw down a bit? Right, or I started playing a game with my nephew because he was on Infinite too, and I was like, "Hey, you're playing with your buddies," and here I am talking with him and his buddies. And he's not somebody I talk to a lot. We're we're kind of sparsely apart from from a distance, so it's it's really cool seeing that community. And I mean, you have clubs, you have looking for groups. You don't have to go on a PC to go find people to help you beat some part of. Like I I threw out a looking for group for for Dying Light. Um, you know, it's it's really great seeing that. We're part of the club, Mass Effect N7 Elite. I love seeing people post their game clips and their their photos in there from or the screenshot, should I say, from the game that they have. 
um, both from the old version and the new version. Um, there's a lot of stuff about the community that I think is a real reason why I'm still there and I didn't go back to PlayStation. I mean, I, I bought the PS3 before I had a 360, and the reason why I stuck with the 360 mostly in the end is the community. It I could play a game, just send you a game invite, you take the game invite, hit the button, when it pops up, you're in my game, no problem. It's The ease of that feature set is amazing, and they keep adding to it. The fact that you have communities built around games, you have clubs built around games, you can have developers to follow on the console and see messages about it. I think really that's that's where I really connect more than the specific games anymore. And it's nice to continue to see that happen. And I do hope we continue to see them expand upon those features, both Microsoft and the publishers to really, really do what's best, which is really connecting us as gamers. Yeah, that's the thing is, Xbox Live, Xbox platform help connect people across the world. It's built communities just off of this gaming system. There are whole companies that exist because of Xbox and Xbox Live or because of a game franchise. Uh, Rooster Teeth would not exist without Halo. <laughs> and they, that's a company that's now owned by AT&T and Warner Brothers and all that. Like People who work there owe their job to a gaming console. Uh, the work that we that I do now and jobs I've had in the past ten years didn't exist before uh, in two in two thousand or before two thousand because the gaming system and live system don't exist. Like those things all started here and then branched out from there. Uh, there was Xbox Live before there was YouTube and and uh, there and all the other internet uh, communities. I mean, it started here, so. That's the cool thing about it is that Xbox really brought the gaming community together and brought it to being a mainstream thing and brought a lot of features that you had with had that they had come up with Xbox Live have basically been co-opted by everybody else to like, oh, we need that feature. We need this feature. <laughs> Parties, groups, friends lists. That's all Xbox, you know. Um, those are things that I think has definitely helped push the the technology forward, push the industry forward, and we'll continue doing it. Um, so that's our show this week. Uh, that's 20 years of Xbox. Tell us what your bit, favorite memories of uh, playing on uh, the Xbox ecosystem were. What some of your favorite games? What are some favorite memories? Did you meet your wife on Xbox? <laughs> Did you meet your best friends on Xbox? I have friends in Canada that I met strictly because we played Halo uh, 2 all the time. Um, I know the, there's some people who've gotten married from people who they met online. <laughs> That's all from the past 20 years. So there's probably a few Xbox babies out there. There's a kid out there named Dova King because of Skyrim <laughs> uh, coming out. So <laughs> who knows? Tell us your stories. We want to hear them. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Uh, this has been Ian. That's David. We'll see you uh, next time on uh, Fortnite, Fortnite Gaming Podcast. Have a good weekend.